Greetings, everyone. This is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I am Mark Oppenheimer, joined in Brooklyn. We'll get to that in a minute. By Stephanie Butnick. Hi. And Leah Leibowitz. I took the subway today. Yeah. When Do was you have time? a metro card? Five years. It's been five years since you've taken the subway? Indeed. And and I heard the theme from Schindler's List playing in my head the whole time. It's like, <laughs> ta na 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 And then I step out in Brooklyn, and I swear to God, the first thing I see is a young man wearing an I Heart the Matriarchy shirt, <laughs> stepping outside of a pressed juice place. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and you're like, I've arrived. The universe is conspiring against me so, this morning. So, uh, unorthodox listeners, we used to tape in the village, and now Panoply has moved us to Brooklyn, which is not a place that any of us goes with any That's regularity. That's not true. Speak for yourselves. Well, you live in the village, and yeah, Leah lives in the upper side. I go to Brooklyn. And I live in the countryside. What do you go to Brooklyn for? Like friends, dinners. Lamaze classes you might party. meet someday. I went once to see Jay-Z. Yeah. And I went a couple of times to have steak at Peter Luger. <laughs> the better Peter Luger, let's be honest, isn't great. Now. Oh my God. That is such an ignorant and thing. And so to say. we're we're just all we're we're dealing we don't really know what this Brooklyn thing is. We're in Metro Tech Center, which which could be a mall in Stamford, to be quite honest. And and we're grateful to our Panoply overlords for giving us this space in which to speak to all of you. This but brand I'm, new I'm studio is amazing. 30% angrier this morning. <laughs> and I'm I'm not just angry, I'm in Brooklyn, so I'm artisanally angry. And I'm hand tossed, hand roasted, slow batch angry. You're bearded angry. I'm bearded angry. You're bearded. You're bar- oh, yeah. You're barbarously angry. Our guests this week uh, are um, drinker, cocktail columnist Rosie Schapp, author of Drinking with Men, and our guest Gentile Doug Henwood, who is perhaps Hillary Clinton's most um, vicious critic from the left and has been the scourge of feminists and he's been attacked as a Bernie bro and he's written a book against Hillary. He also edits Left Business Observer, uh, which is which is left wing. Uh, a little news of the Jews with Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Israel's Independence Day coming up. The citizens of that country took the time to answer a very, very important question, something that's been on all of their minds. What is the most Israeli vegetable? According to an online poll, the most Israeli vegetable is? Hummus. Uh, uh, Gal Gadot. Gal- <laughs> <laughs> Bar Raffaele, Bar Raffaele. Chickpeas. The correct answer is the tomato. No, no, no. That's right. It was the tomato. It was the tomato, right? And Leo, could you explain that? Why? What is it about your people and tomatoes? I mean, look, look, look at a tomato, man. What, what's, what's there to explain? It's there, perfection. Just take a hearty bite in. Yeah. There was a thing on John Oliver this week where he like said that something about tomatoes and Jews, and the punchline was like they both feel uncomfortable in like the Upper Midwest. So I'm like, what is it with tomatoes and Jews right now? Why is that? I don't even... Jews, we're having a tomato moment. Uh, you know where Jews aren't having a moment is in England, where the British Labour Party continues to look like a festering wound filled with the maggots of anti-Semitism. How do you like that for a metaphor? Um, two more officials were suspended from the party for saying things like Jews were behind the slave trade and Israelis were behind ISIS and having tweeted out assorted things defending other people who said things like that. I, I do have to say, I don't know what it means to be suspended from a party in England. I mean, you, you don't I know, you don't I know to what it means lo- to be suspended from a party, not a political party. <laughs> right. That's yeah. why he's not allowed back in Brooklyn. That's true. Does it mean they don't wear the lapel pin? No, I they don't like know. politely ask you to leave the room. Now they need to be privately racist and anti-Semitic as opposed to collectively anti-Semitic. It means they don't get to stand for election in their local it, constabulary. It really, it really cramps their style. It cramps their style. Uh, but it, lest you think things are any better here, we ha- now have the, the, the union to end all unions. Sheldon Adelson has officially endorsed Donald Trump. 
That's like self tanner situation is unreal yeah. between the two of them. <laughs> it's like an orange situation. <laughs> the trip to the man salon there is. <laughs> it takes it from orange and to deep like so purple. And it's like so leathery. That whole si- oh. Which do you think? Do you think Charles saying, "Donna, where do you? I want, I want yeah, your like, hair, yeah, because I, I have a He's slight. Like, My comb over is just like not the. I best. have a weak orange comb over, but you have a full yellow comb over, uh, and also for Israel Independence Day, Reebok has released a limited edition sneaker in blue and white with Israel sixty eight on it. Is that because Israel's turning sixty eight? Uh, yes, I mean that's just a weird. Wouldn't you put Israel forty eight? I don't understand anything about this whole thing. Who is buying that shoe? Oh, sneakerheads in Tel Aviv, right? Sneakerheads anywhere. Anywhere. Oh, Are you getting a pair, Leo? I'll get a pair. You'll get a pair. Why not? In lighter news, the Nazi dog, um, a Scottish man provoked outrage. We're just bouncing from Israel back to UK, back to Israel, back to the UK. A Scottish man provoked outrage because he filmed his girlfriend's dog making a Nazi salute and he barking. trained the dog to make a Nazi salute. Well, uh, uh, right. Dogs don't do that on their own, Leo. I don't know. So, <laughs> I don't know that. Science has not yet weighed in on that. That's an ignorant statement. So, so uh, earlier this year, Marcus Meechin uploaded to a video of, of the dog. The dog is, is a pug named Buddha. And the dog was raising his little pug paw in a sig heil when Meechin said, gas the Jews. Um, and all I have to say about this is the YouTube clip of this Begins with a trigger warning. It says something like, if you're sensitive to Nazi propaganda, don't watch this video. And I thought, if you're sensitive to Nazi propaganda, this is exactly the video you should watch because it'll be, it will totally desensitize you. It will turn the Holocaust like, into the funniest thing. It's like, do you love dog videos, but also hate the Holocaust? <laughs> this then this isn't for you. Do you ever feel like the universe is writing news just for us sometimes? <laughs> because look, we've, we've, we've done the cat Holocaust beat, right? right. We've, we've talked about Meowschwitz and we've gotten a lot of flag for that. But really, I think we've, we've done a disservice to the dogs because we have talked about Meowschwitz. But why not Barkenau? <laughs> oh, too soon. The best really? part about this story it's not is that it's actually do you just think, now. Do you think <laughs> that, that the bad the German shepherds would have served in the <laughs> Wolfen SS? No. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think the craziest thing about the story is that he did it to like because his girlfriend loved the dog so much, and he was she was paying too much attention to the dog, and he was like, "What can I do to this dog to make my girlfriend not like pay attention to him or not like bestow so much love on him?" And literally the answer was turn him into a Nazi. That's kind of sort of brilliant. Like it's still like the barometer of awful. I stand with that guy. What's amazing about that is it's kind of like he's a friend of the Jews because he's saying, how can I make a dog repugnant? I'll make the dog literally repugnant. (laughs) (laughs) He said, I'll make the dog into a little Nazi. So it will so repulse my girlfriend that she'll have to give me some love. But you're not supporting the real piece of news, which is the dog is now the runner up to lead labor in Britain. (laughs) (laughs) Like we like that guy. No, I thought it's that the dog has been renamed Doggy McDogface. <laughs> Cute and he's hates like the Jews. on the Republican ticket here soon. <laughs> Come be our shadow prime minister. Uh, it wouldn't stop Sheldon Adelson from allying with him if the dog would vote for, if the dog would help him run the Las Vegas Review Tribune. I'm excited for the dog's like ADL tour of apology, like, where he like visits. <laughs> the dog's like, I'm a big friend. I love the Jews, okay? <laughs> Believe me, no one's a better friend of the Jews. So in the YouTube clip, Meechin says, quote, my girlfriend is always ranting and raving about how cute her dog is. So I thought I would turn her into the least cute thing you could think of, which is a Nazi. Do you think they're still together? That's my question. Has the, has the relationship survived this burst of – I don't know if you have to like respect his yeah. will to do this, his determination, or just be like you are a I, crazy person. I think either way, their sex life back. got so much better. <laughs> I think it got so weird. Yeah. I, th- I mean if by better you mean that the dog is, is really – 
part of the erotic some, dynamic. Some energies <laughs> have been unleashed. By the way, this is like the third reference on the show, not today, like in its entirety of like Nazi sex, weird things happening. And animals. And animals, uh, yeah. Listeners, uh, there's warning. only really one podcast in which you could get <laughs> the trifecta of sex, Nazis, and pets. Uh, unorthodox. By the way, if, if, and if any of you train any of your animals to respond to any Nazi commands and do something really cute, we'll give you a tote bag and a subscription to the print magazine. Should we do the, should we do the opposite? Should we have like an Anne Frank dog? Like you say, the Nazis are coming. It would run, and, it would and run it runs the, under the couch. Run, no, it runs to the attic. Yeah. Can we do that? <laughs> that would, that would win the tote bag. Tote yeah. bag. Tote bag. Tote bag. Um, other news, uh, the Wall Street Journal has reported that apparently sweet kosher wine has developed a following among non-Jews, especially at Asian grocery stores. I don't think there's anything to say about this except just that that's really weird. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like how Moscato, Moscato is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. That sweet wine is like really popular in the hip hop world now. Like rappers are like talking about it. There's a Nicki Minaj line of Moscato and it's kosher wine. I think the Asians are doing it to fuck with us. They're like, oh, so chicken kung pao, like that's what you passed <laughs> off for our cuisine for all these years. Guess what, man? The show it's bitches, okay? Now you see how that feels when we take something that's actually wonderful and meaningful to you and reduce it. If to they really wanted to fuck with us, they'd close awful. on Christmas. That's true. <laughs> well, that they'll be fucking with them more than they, being they, with us. They would close on all the, They would close on all the holidays that we need them. And in the Department of News created especially for Liel, the new Han Solo was announced, and it's Alden Ehrenreich, who is. I like how you Jewed up the last name. Ehrenreich, who is and a Jew. Jordan I should be like Germaned up it. There have been several articles lately about this Alden Ehrenreich fellow. Apparently he's in, he's in, I'm going to keep saying, yes, definitely don't so? laugh at me. I'll tell you in a second why I pronounce it that way. Uh, he's been in, He's apparently he's been cast in everything. He's the new Chris Hemsworth. He's the new Vin Diesel. Like, is he? <laughs> wow. The question really is. Mark Oppenheimer on yeah. the outside. Is he? <laughs> The Hollywood news. Is he worth it? You know it? how he was, dis he's amazing. You know how he was discovered? How is he He discovered? made a short film for a friend's bat mitzvah. And Steven Spielberg was among the guests. And he watched the film. He's like, who the fuck is this amazing kid? And just gave him a shot. What was the film? Would you know what was in it? No, it was just a short movie of him being a creep and funny and like doing all kinds of weird things. And was he 13? Uh, he was, he like was 14. Yeah. And since then, it's been all, he's just been off to the races. It's all been, you know, wine and roses since then. If you saw him in the, uh, the Coen Brothers movie, Hail Caesar, he's amazing. And so he's just he's really good in that. Yeah. So this is going to be for Star Wars number eight? This is Star Wars not number eight. This is Star Wars prequel, you know, the, the, the oh beginnings so of the behind. adventures of, of, of Han Solo. The beginning of the beginning. Uh, and it's great. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a Jew Han Solo to go along with his friend, Jewy Chewbacca. Uh, and it's kind of funny if you think that really the story uh, here, at least of the first kind of thing, it's about this bad boy rebel uh, who's kind of courting a girl whose father wants to take over the Federation. Uh -huh. It's kind of goodbye Columbus. <laughs> you know, it's like an early Philip Roth story. And meanwhile, in the old days when Jews weren't quite, a, quite as in in Hollywood, they, you know, they had they had Harrison Ford who – as Adam Sandler tells us, is only a quarter Jewish, and Carrie Fisher is half, and now we've traded up. I mean, I think Alden is the he's the full Monty, as far we, as we gone, know. We've gone full Jew. We've gone full Jew. <laughs> 
issue number two of the Tablet Print Magazine is out. And issue number three is soon to be out, right, Stephanie? Yeah, and time for Shavuos. When does it drop? Issue number three comes out uh, May 31st. It'll be on newsstands and in your home by then or shortly thereafter. And if people want to subscribe, which they do? Text tablet to 66866. What happens then? Does it just do so that, you, does that auto-subscribe? No, the, no. There's We're a not process. there yet, there's but a they send you a link to our subscription page, and then on your phone, you just click that link and then do it all on your phone. It's really easy. Our guest Jew this week is Rosie Schapp. She is a... Are you a cocktail columnist? I'm I'm the drink columnist. The drink columnist for the Times Magazine and also author of the memoir, Drinking with Men. Yes? Right. It sounds like I've just got one trick, but it's kind of a fun one. Like, and, and how old are you? I'm 45. Okay. So, and you got your column, you got your drinking column career like seven, eight years ago? Uh, well, the column will turn five in the fall. Um, so you got your dream job, I'm guessing. I'm guessing drinking and writing about it. It's not bad. bad. It's not bad. You got that. After, like, you Guys, worked before, for it. Before we continue, I'm sorry. I just want to say, and I'm saying this mainly for future guests, uh, because you guys need to shape up. Rosie just walked into the studio. It's 9.30 in the morning with a very good bottle of tequila and, and a lot of other surprises she will soon share with us. So all of you guests who come on the show and not bring us alcohol, you pale in comparison to the great that. Rosie. It's show. true. You may, be, you may <laughs> overtake Simon Doonan as our favorite guest ever. Never. Now, that he seems did impossible. It, he did it on wit and attire, but he didn't right. bring us anything to drink. Yes. Simon, well. Simon brought dick jokes, but Rosie, right. has, Rosie has the liquor. <laughs> right. Our best circumstance discussion draw. was with Simon. That doesn't shock me. So, that sounds like fun. Um, you've been known to read tarot cards in exchange for free beers. When I was young, yeah. Did you okay? Do you believe in that stuff? I believe in everything. No, really, I am the most no, really. credulous person you will ever meet. No, really, really, really. Ant- sure. Anti-vaccination theories. No, no, no. no. I mean, I have limits. Trump I'm a president. I'm a reasonable person. You know. Um, I, I mean, I think the tarot cards, and this was certainly uh, a part of my youth when I was a teenager. Certain things came together, like tarot cards and drugs and Fairport Convention, into this sort of, <laughs> you know. Um, Jewish adolescent who wanted to be in sort of a trippy English fairy tale kind right. of um, kind right. of thing, kind of an Isle, Isle of Sky boho, sure, alcoholic, exactly. Vibe. Yeah, right, I know. You get it. Oh, sure, yeah. we, we all had that. He's phase. really good at stereotypes, yeah. and I don't mind. Stereotypes are often <laughs> totally legit. And so, when did your your career as a future drink columnist crystallize exactly? Well, you know, there's this great story about when um, when the painter Whistler was on trial. And oh, so um, many great stories about Whistler on trial. Yes. And uh, and he was asked, how dare he charge X amount of dollars for this painting that's just a pot of paint hurled on a canvas? And he said, you know, it's not about the time spent painting, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but a lifetime's experience. Wow. So even though my life as a drink writer, a, a job I still can't quite believe is real, um, happened fairly late in my life, I, I feel I've been preparing for it for a very long time. Tell us about it. How, how does one go about prepping for that? Spending a lot of time in bars. But it's not just that. I mean, it, it has to be a certain kind of education, right? That it goes is. Into it. I think it's spending time in bars with your eyes open and your ears open and being open to people. And uh, and that's what I did for a very long time. And uh, it, it's funny. I, I show up here early in the morning with tequila and, and, and other treats. And, and I do want to make it clear, although maybe I shouldn't, that, uh, you know, as a drink writer, it doesn't mean I wake up first thing in the morning, have my shot of tequila. I can't. Um, I don't have the stamina or tolerance I had when I was 25. <laughs> when you would, um, in fact, wake up first thing in the morning. 
Well, two but, shot but of what I what I was getting at, Mark, was I never really went to bars to get drunk. Um, you can get drunk a lot cheaper at home or in a friend's house. I went to bars because the mix of people is a mix you don't get anywhere else. You don't get it at work. You don't get it at school. Uh, a bar is its own strange little affinity group where you meet all kinds of people of different ages. Most of them happen to be men. I mean, that was the one sort of um, concession to diversity that uh, that got to me enough at a certain point that I had to write a book about it. So, you know, I'm a third generation alcoholic uh, and I have this observation about bars where I spend a lot of yeah. time. Um, it seems to me these days they come in two flavors, right? One is the super high-end cooler-than-thou where you get like a hand-tossed small batch bourbon with, you know, infused celery vodka. Uh, and the other is the sort of equally awful, hey, this is so divey. Look how divey it is. We'll have PBR and we'll be cool. And And none of these really seem to respect the actual, you know, tradition that you're you're so eloquently getting at. Do you see that? They still exist. They, they still do. exist. They may be a little harder to find than they once were. But another reason I'm going to go easy on the tequila myself this morning is I actually have my own bar shift this afternoon. I still 10 bar one day a week. Oh, where? Um, at South in the south end of Park Slope. I'm there on Tuesday afternoons and day drinkers are the best drinkers and 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 really God's chosen people are day drinkers, not Jews. Um, so if you're a Jewish day drinker, you are it's like the whole you, are, you may be Moshe. You're the you may be. You really may be. Um uh, and, and I love it. To me, uh, my one bar shift, uh, writing is lonely and sedentary, and bartending is the opposite. I think it keeps me from going You don't believe really in the connection between writing and drinking, do you? Um, you know, I believe there are some spectacular people who c- could write drunk. I mean, when I was thinking, oh, I'm a drink writer, but I can't wake up and get drunk, I bet you anything Kingsley Amos could. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you that guy could do it. Hitchens wrote drunk. Sure. Yeah. Right. I'm not... Yeah, I'm not a multitasker, but one thing at a time kind of there person. There is, a, I mean, is there, I, so I say this, I don't have the the alcoholic yichus of, of Liel, who's carrying on the family tradition, I marching gaily sure forward. Have. I'm not much of a drinker. My dad's not much of a drinker, but his dad was like a serious drinker Shaker. and, and had, had six wives to show for it. Yeah. And, um, but there's a, there's a sad side to the day drinker, isn't there? I mean, it's not, it's not all merriment. The guy who stops in at two and nurses his beer toward... I mean, Norm and Cliff at Cheers were basically really sad sacks. They were. Um, you know, I, I, of course, I've seen some of that. There's no way to spend so much of one's life in bars and not see some real pathos and even tragedy. Um, but I don't see tons of that. What I really see is a kind of um, interesting, strange community building among people who keep weird hours so a lot of craftspeople, a lot of other bartenders, a lot of restaurant workers, a lot of uh, freelancers of different kinds. Um, you know, and I'm, yeah, I mean, of course, we've seen some pretty sad cases. Can I just comment on the fact that, that this is the longest conversation I've ever had with a bottle of tequila in front of me <laughs> without partaking? Speaking of it? sad cases. <laughs> All right. So let's, should we get, should we get to it? What are you? What, are you, you invented a drink for us, right? I, well, I, I can't take credit for it. Okay. I think generations of, of um, extremely brilliant Mexican people before me can take credit for it. Let's culturally uh, appropriate this drink, shall we? I, yeah. Well, um, so here's, here's why the I brought— The best tequila is made here in Brooklyn Panoply Studios. Right. <laughs> I love Hispanics. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot to bring a taco bowl to serve this in uh, <laughs> next time. Uh, so I brought something— when I have brunch, and you know, we don't have to get into the whole brunch controversy, whether you love it or hate it, I like brunch best at home. I like to invite people over, put out food, and I find sometimes I have a mix of people who drink 
people who do not drink, people who do not drink before three. So for me, tequila and sangrita is the perfect thing because the people who want to drink the tequila with their sangrita are thrilled and people who don't want to drink booze are so happy to drink the sangrita so on its own. you can be friends with people who don't drink? I, I, it's, it's amazing, but yes. Really? I know, a few token non-drinker friends. No, I'm, friends. I'm dead serious now. There's no contempt? Because no. I have contempt. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. no, I mean... Uh, I think some people are, I think it's, you know, if, if you quit drinking and you were always a difficult person, you stay a difficult person. If you quit drinking and you're not a difficult person, I don't mean you're quit not. drinking. Those people I respect. I mean, people like, no, I just, don't, I, I, I love just that don't Rosie's like idea it. of someone who doesn't drink is someone who's quit drinking. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's totally what I thought you were talking about. No, no, those uh, people I totally wait, respect. Wait, there are people that. who I, just don't just drink? Don't you drink? Just don't? Have you, have you ever oh, see, met? This I don't some? really know about. Yeah. This is new to me. Come to the Upper West Side more often. Come meet my wife. Okay. Who has sure. about a glass of wine a year? You know that it's been the worst day of the year when she comes home and says, uh, "I could use a glass of wine," but it's literally once a year. Uh, you know, it's been uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Monday, or Tuesday, or Saturday uh, when I when I say this. When so this is a question for you. You yes. have with your like with with your job. Do people expect a certain level of like? Like you say, you have you had brunch. You have this great thing. Do, when you go to a party, are people like, "Wait, did you bring?" I mean, you sort of showed up here with a, an amazing drink. Do do people stop expect everything? That from Rosie's going to mix the gin and tonic. It, look at <laughs> look at how she mixes the gin and tonic. Right. She's a genius <laughs> with with a with a bottle of tonic. Um, it actually really hurts me when people get intimidated or nervous when I come over, and it does happen. It does, and I and I I would like to say I think I'm a better guest than I am a bartender. And that means politely, happily drinking what you're served and eating what you're served and enjoying it and showing appreciation for it. So it really pains me, Stephanie, when people are like, oh, my God, I have to infuse my own my own uh, muddle. Yeah, I got to muddle and I got to make special (laughs) simple syrup and I've got to make crazy giant ice cubes. No, serve me what you like. She throws her own uh, mortar and pestle pots in (laughs) her own kiln. She has travel. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not for one second. Are we going to get back to the drink? Buying. Yes. In a a moment, Mark. (laughs) This is important. Sorry. (laughs) I am not for one second buying this kind of. You know, uh, this sort of democratic, egalitarian. Like, I, you have to have biases against some people who drink some things. Like, if I have a, a, if I see someone and my wife's in that group order a vodka martini, I judge them because it's not right or civilized. What do you hate? It's funny. I had, I had, I had lunch with, uh, I had dinner the other night with some relatives, an uncle who loves basically what he calls a martini is a chilled glass of vodka, and I was like, if that makes you happy, that's great. But please call it a chilled glass of vodka. Yes. Right. Um, so I don't hate it. Please I want, call it peasant juice. No, I, <laughs> I, I really do want people to drink what makes them happy. Because you know what? If we get sanctimonious and serious but about you this. Judge you judge them a little bit inside? You know, I only judge if people drink what they don't really like. If they're just trying to sort of be uh, trendy or if, if they're not really going with what they love, what's the point? Okay. Like if you want, if you, if you really... Hey, I love a Brandy Alexander. Some people would laugh at that. I think it's a delicious. It's a cool drink. Delicious, maybe three times a year, go crazy kind of drink. If that's what makes you happy, great. Um, I I have a theory about one thing, though. I think about 75% of the people who tell themselves they like IPAs really don't. Mm -hmm. I think they think it sounds sophisticated and discerning, and they'd be much happier with a far more delicious Pilsner or Kolsch (laughs) or something less astringent. And on that happy note, would you kindly pour us <laughs> okay. a drink? First I would of all, something happy. less astringent. What is sangrita? Sangrita to me is one of the greatest things in the world. The most traditional version, fresh orange juice, fresh lime juice, um, good grenadine that's made with, made with real pomegranate, um, chili spice, and hot sauce. 
mixed together into this delicious bracing concoction. This one, because um, delicious watermelons are back in the markets, this one also has watermelon agua fresca in it, which to me makes it even more delicious. So the idea is you sip your tequila, sip your sangrita. Some people like to shoot it. Some people like to sip. I'm more of a sipper. Um, Let's see. All right. So, so what should we do with this? Okay. So, take a sip of your tequila, which is being served in little in, in little oh copita, God, so a little cute. clay copita. Okay. Sip and um, and you're gonna share. I'm sorry, I didn't have enough right. copitas for all. And Ooh. then you're gonna sip your sangrita, <laughs> and uh, kind of keep going that Nothing way. Nothing like tequila at nine forty. That is delicious. That I good? love the watermelon. Yeah, I've never had that before. Oh, it does. It 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 coats well. It like prepares yeah. you for the next sip of the tequila. This yeah. is the life. Yeah, and uh, if you make a big batch of sangrita, it's also fantastic for making micheladas. Ooh. And another sip of tequila. Yep. <laughs> Henwood, <laughs> Henwood, just <laughs> anti-Hillary leftist Doug Henwood is staring at us from outside. Do you want to just come in? Do you want a drink? So do you love tequila? <laughs> Henwood just walked in to get some tequila. Rosie Shop. It's nice. Doug Henwood. Nice to meet you. This is a very good sangrita. Thank so, you so I much. Need to know. So if you're like just moved here or something like that, establishing your your bar cart, like what do you need in your apartment? You know, not that much. I think it's similar to cooking. If you, you know, with cooking, if you have a cutting board, a good knife, one good skillet, you're kind of good. Um, uh, with drink, uh, you know, I think I think even having ten bottles is quite a lot. Uh, I think you definitely want uh, a whiskey, not a crazy expensive whiskey, something good to mix with, so you can make a Manhattan and you can make a nice old fashioned. Um, you want a tequila for sure. Um, a nice sturdy mixing glass, which could just be a pint glass someone gave you, or it could be something you special order, a good something to stir with. If you don't want to spend money on a special bar spoon, a good chopstick, like a lacquered chopstick, great for stirring, uh, and a strainer. Um, and, uh, just make sure you have fresh fruit around. Basically, if you have some citrus, you have some whiskey, you have, um, a lighter liquor, like a tequila or a rum, uh, you have ice. Um, you can do so much and bitters. You don't need a million bitters, but definitely have a bottle of Angostura around. For fuck's sake, bitters. It all like comes it. down to I'm the in. bitters. <laughs> Thank Schaap, you. The book is Drinking with Men. You'll come back sometime and talk to, about your book. I'd be delighted. And what are you working on now? What's the next book? Uh, about whiskey. Is like a guide to or a history of or kind of how a, whiskey changed the world? A little hybrid of like how to really love it and, and stories about it. All right. Um, a mix of narrative and and informational, I'd say. I, I really love it. <laughs> I'm read I that do book. too. Liel's I contribution too. is I, 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 chapter seven. I love it. That's perfect. Rosie Chap, thanks so much for being here. My great pleasure. Thank you so thanks much. For coming. Cheers. This was awesome. Whew, nothing like some tequila to start the morning. <laughs> you want to go where people know. People all know the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. And now a word from our sponsor. Today I'm feeling a little bit like a product whore. I have my new CV's shoes on my feet. I'm wearing a J-Press shirt on my torso. But for my face, it's, it's always back to basics. My Harry's razor. Harry's is the razor where for the cartridges, you don't have to wait for them to open the plexiglass at the Walgreens. They just send it to you in the mail. You buy it online. It's German engineered. Your face is smoother. You save time in line and the prices are better. The Harry's starter set, which I will recommend to you, is called the Truman. It's a great option for new customers and it's an amazing deal. For just $15, you get a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five-blade German engineered razors. Plus, 
There's a special offer for fans of this show. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with the promo code UNORTHODOX. If you're a fan of this show, you know how to spell it. You click it on iTunes all the time. You download it. Go to harrys.com right now, H-A-R-R-Y-S. Just leave out the apostrophe. And when you buy the Truman set, enter the code UNORTHODOX at checkout to let them know who sent you. It'll be $5 off and your face will thank you. And so will we because they're our sponsors and we're thrilled to have them. Hey, May 16th, we will be at American Hebrew Academy. Some of you will be listening to this podcast after that. But if you're in the greater North Carolina area and you hear this podcast before that, we invite you to crash the party. American Hebrew Academy is in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's a boarding school for Jewish kids from the world over from many, many countries. And we're excited to be doing a live show of Unorthodox there on Monday, May 16th. Good to see you. Um, yeah, Liel, Stephanie. Hello. Douglas. Now, if you... J. Douglas Henwood III. If no. you were making a uh, Hillary-inspired uh, cocktail, what would be in it and what would it be called? Ooh, it would have to have a bitter aftertaste. <laughs> so you'd have the Angostura. <laughs> Fake sweetness with a bitter aftertaste. <laughs> <laughs> a lovely intro to our Gentile of the Week, Doug Henwood. Gentile of the Week, I'm... You didn't know you were Gentile of the Week? No, I, well, I knew I was a Gentile, but I didn't know it was a regular yeah, This week, you're the Gentile of the Week. Oh, all right. Yeah, we'll give you a little a little um, uh, five-pointed star to affix to your breast pocket. And uh, so you, Doug Henwood has written, he's he's the founder of Left Business Observer, which is a an occasionally published. Well, it's, uh, it's on hiatus now. It's on hiatus. After 27 years. Yeah, and an occasionally published. But there will be a 30th anniversary issue in September. That's a party. Yes. That's... <laughs> that's Party for Left Business Observer's 30th anniversary. Yes. Um, and, but but this has been a good election season for you because you had a book that came out called uh, – remind me the t- – I've seen it a million times. My turn. My Hillary Clinton targets the presidency. I just got the uh, – the, um, it's coming out in a new edition from Seven Stories Press uh, and I just got copies in the, uh, in the mail With yesterday. With the same cover. Same cover. A little okay. – slightly different. So, but the, the same, same – the, gun, the gun's a little bit the different. Gun, right. As somebody said on Twitter, uh, the last thing that Vince Foster saw <laughs> – <laughs> That's kind of brilliant. <laughs> so Doug, Doug's a lefty writer and critic and and rabble rouser. But this has been the season because this book was. But you were basically accused. You have a book. It's an anti-Hillary book, and the the cover painting, which is uh, you'll tell us about the painting and the woman who did it. the The painting is is Hillary pointing a gun at the the reader, and you were basically accused of all sorts of misogyny and and Bernie broism and um you know basically you're you're a right wing misogynist essentially. Oh yes, of course that's that's me. So tell us about the painting and and the whole the follicle. Right, by the that. way, because we would never portray a man holding a gun. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Well, the phallic woman is a you know is a complex issue. Uh, the um, I think there's a little phrase from Dashiell Hammett about a frail holding a rod. So it you know, it's, it does violate a whole lot of norms, I guess. Uh, the um the painting is by a, a woman named Sarah Soul. Uh, who uh, is obsessed with Hillary Clinton. Uh, I met her through Facebook a few years ago, and when it came time to think of a book cover, I thought, oh, one of Sarah's paintings would be fun. Uh, if you visit her website, which is sarah-soul, S-O-L-E dot com, you'll find scores of paintings and collages and drawings of Hillary solo, Hillary with Sarah, Hillary in various configurations, many of them very erotic. Uh, Sarah had a, a dream of Hillary one night in 2007 and woke up and she's never the same again. 
And <laughs> I, think um, I, would, I think I would never be the same again. <laughs> I really don't understand her obsession. She loves Hillary. Uh, I don't understand it. She has. Uh, uh, she loves the pulpy. F- she loves the right wing pulp fantasies about Hillary uh, and all. You know, her, is that her, a genre? Well, yeah. Um, there was a right wing book that came out in the nineties uh, that told the story of. Um, and Sarah told me the story. I haven't read it myself. But um, it came out in the nineties, and it reported that one day a vet came. To, a woman vet came to the White House uh, to treat the cat socks. And uh, she and Hillary locked eyes, and then they were on the floor making love shortly afterwards. Uh, I said to Sarah, that's almost certainly not true. And uh, (laughs) uh, Sarah said, I don't care. I just love that people make up these fantasies about her. All right. You know, so this is its own genre of porn, is what you're saying. It's, it's her her uh, her handle on Instagram is Hillary Porn Official. So a few weeks ago we were talking about Nazi porn, and now Israeli Nazi porn of the 50s, and now we're wow. back Hillary porn of the of the 90s. Of the so 90s. when you said I have this really like anti-Hillary book, and she was she said okay, I'll... I explained it to her. I told her you know many times this is not going to be a very friendly book, and she didn't care. Uh, and the, the the painting is based on a, a photograph of Natalie Wood from I think the early 60s. Uh, and you know, if you look at the pa- the the original photograph. It's obviously that. Uh, but uh, it's quite a Rorschach about Hillary because some people think it's misogynist, uh, makes her look violent and entitled. And you know, I part of the reason I liked it, th- this, this image is because she is very bellicose, aggressive, very pro-military. Uh, when she was the secretary of state, she was by far the most aggressive member of the, the cabinet. Diplomat in chief with the most av- was even more uh, in favor of military action than, the, than the, the, the secretary of defense, Republican Robert Gates. So I thought I, that captured that part of her. But also her, she's, I think, ruthless and very tough. Uh, and Male politicians are the same. I have no problem with a woman being ruthless and tough. You see, those like they're bad things. Well, that's the other thing I was going to say. A lot of this close to getting Leal to vote for Hillary. Yeah, a lot of people found it made her look badass and liked it. So a bunch of Hillary people, a minority, most of the people, uh, uh, disgusting, revolting, horrifying, misogynist. You know, has it sold? Mostly, uh, is the book sold? Well, it came out originally from Or Books, uh, which uh, was a. Uh, a small started press. by a, a, a very small press. press, which which is started by a guy who published two of my previous books, uh, Colin Robinson, and they only sell on the web. It's, they don't sell in bookstores. They don't even sell on Amazon except through third party sellers. <laughs> so now it's coming out in a real trade edition, uh, which will be available everywhere uh, from Seven Stories Press. Uh, so we'll see. It sold a few thousand copies. An Ors version, we'll see. The distributor. If you weren't keeping it out happy. of the Israeli market, you'd have a few thousand more. <laughs> yes, well, the fact that you won't let it be published in Israel is not good for your bottom line. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Um, that was a difficult decision. Um, and I have, um, I'm torn on the whole BDS issue, but I came down finally on the um, on the side of not giving it, the, giving the rights. But um, that's Liel actually would would translate it for you himself. We, we we'll get to it later. In the meanwhile, here's here's a here's the requisite question that you've probably been hearing, you know, ten thousand times a day. Uh, if it comes down as it might, as it will, to to Hillary versus Donald J. Trump, what what are you doing in November? Well, I tell everyone, uh, and this is in the second to last paragraph of the book. I say I would not uh, argue with anyone who uh, would vote for Hillary because the Republicans at that point I didn't know it was going to be Trump, but wh- whoever the Republicans was gonna, were going was going to nominate was going to be a horrible, frightening, terrifying, revolting person. And so I said, you know, if you want to vote for Hillary, uh, fine, uh, do so without illusions about who she is. But I can't personally do it myself. Um, and since I'm in New York, I guess I have the luxury of of not feeling like. My vote could change uh, the course of history. So how, what happens like now for Bernie? Like what happens now until whenever? Well, God knows. That's a very good question. Uh, what I thought the campaign that 
and when I was writing the book, I had no idea who's going to be the phenomenon that he turned out to be. Uh, what what what's so interesting about his campaign beyond him and, and his quirky personal appeal? Uh, and by the way, I think some of the attacks at him are coded anti-Semitism. If you want to talk about that, but I don't know. Yeah, for yeah, sure. I, um, I find most of what he says to be coded anti-Semitism, but that's just <laughs> a self-hating. This Bernie. will get this will get so meta that you think that that Bernie's the problem for the Jews, and Doug, who isn't letting his book be published in Israel, thinks that the attackers on Bernie are the problem for the Jews. And well, you know, he's loud. And he flails cow. his arms. You know, he's like we need more you know, tequila. He, he's many, huge. Yes, he does. He's like like a. Uh, He's Something, like a Brooklyn version of Trump. A Brooklyn from 40 years ago. It's really you know, a very different Brooklyn. Um, uh, but uh, what it, it, it revealed a couple of things. I mean the, 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 uh, the opinions of the younger cohort – and I remember I read this years ago. Uh, a pollster said that this was the most progressive cohort in the history of polling. And it wasn't just on social issues but also economic issues. And this seems to be developing. And this is very interesting uh, for several reasons, one of which is that um, people don't really – become more conservative as they age. Uh, so their, their opinions are generally fixed in their 20s and they stick with them for most of their lives. Uh, so I think we have a very progressive cohort of voters coming up that are going to change the, the direction of American politics. Hillary is like the last gasp of the corporate Democrats, the DLC of the 90s, uh, and you know, just like Eisenhower Republican in a lot of ways. Uh, and um, something is happening in the Democratic Party, and there are going to be fissures in the party. We're watching the Republican Party split apart now, um, but I think the Democrats are kind of smug about that in, in, in some circles. But I think they're going to experience something similar in, in the coming years uh, that uh, this younger cohort is not going to take uh, the, the 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 Wall Street friendly aggressive policies of of the corporate Democrat crowd. Uh, so. You know, in sense that we're seeing this great uh, generational shift in the party, uh, and where is it going to go? I mean, the uh, it um, the, the 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 Sanders candidacy revealed uh, a whole bunch of Democrats as being very much opposed to even fairly mild social democracy. To see Hillary and her surrogates and people like Paul Krugman uh, and Paul Starr, you know, liberal icons like that, denouncing single payer health insurance, which used to be you know, a cornerstone of social democracy, denouncing free college tuition, uh, Hillary saying you need skin in the game. Um, why not, you know, why not K through 12? Why, why not pay a charge tuition for that too? To watch them reveal themselves as uh, um, frightened of social democracy and you know, kind of corporate and, and afraid of the mobilization that the Sanders campaign represented was very interesting. It revealed a lot about who they are. But then where do we go from here? I mean, the, this, um, you know, this opens up a whole lot of possibilities, but it's not going to be meaningful without some sort of organization to carry forward. If Sanders ends up endorsing Hillary, which I guess he will, uh, then where does this movement go? Uh, where, do all, what is, where does this constituency go? It's going to be trumped. Uh, it's going to be trumped. It's going it's to manifest itself behind some you Capital know, T? kooky candidate. Oh, I don't know. I don't know, really. Uh, you know, I mean, beyond 2016. And, you know, one of the reservations I had about writing this Hillary book in the first place, and I had several, but I was persuaded, uh, was that an excessive focus on electoral politics really misses a lot of, for people of my persuasion, a lot of long-term organizing possibilities. Uh, so if you organize around specific issues, for example, like a single-payer health insurance and, and, and um, you know, free college tuition, these are or, or, uh, issues you could organize movements around uh, for the longer term. And you could force political candidates to bend to that. But if you get involved in you know, just these quadrennial rituals of, of, of presidential politics, and the presidency is such 
terrain of the big boys that I think people on the left should really not get obsessed with it like they do. Is it weird being accused of misogyny all the time? It is very, very weird. Because, I mean, you're a feminist. And, yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, I'd like to think not, 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 not conventionally gendered in lots of ways and um, I'm married to a feminist. And, uh, you're dainty looking? Uh, I don't know about that. Um, but <laughs> Are you troubled so. by how much, though, to, just to riff on Mark's question, how much, you know, identity politics is gnawing at the otherwise serious core of progressive politics? Well, it's been... I said there are many interesting things about uh, what the, the Sanders candidacy has revealed, but one of them is the, the cynical uses to which identity politics have been put. Uh, like Hillary's use of uh, – and her supporters especially use of, of feminism to shield her from any kind of criticism. If you criticize, you're, you're a misogynist. And one of the things I would like to see feminists consider is uh, the, the effects of having a woman candidate uh, and her having to prove how, how tough she can be militarily. And Hillary's instincts have – since she was 16 years old, at least, have been very uh, pro-military, uh, very confrontational. Uh, and she's continued with that. You know, she wanted to be on the Armed Services Committee when she landed in the Senate. She was always advocating for military action when she was Secretary of State. Uh, but uh, uh, pacifism, or at least a, a skepticism about war, has long been a, a, an important part of uh, feminism. Uh, and uh, Hillary has thrown that completely over. But you have to wonder, is she... Um, also, does she have to prove herself that she's not a softy uh, to a bunch of um, skeptical and bellicose men? I don't know. Um, but that's something I think worth consideration. Doug, you have a, an internationally recognized panel of Jewish experts here. You, <laughs> you have not a drop of Jewish blood in you. You you look at you. Look at your blue-eyed self. And uh, All my best friends growing up are Jewish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, do you have a question for us? That, can we explain something to you about the chosen people? Yes. Uh, I, I've often wondered why um, uh, secular Jews who believe not a word of the religious content of, 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 the, of the scriptures nonetheless observe so many of the holidays and rituals. Uh, and uh, um, uh, relatedly, as, as you know, growing up Catholic, I realized that uh, so much was about your state of mind and your your your, your, your what you do, uh, whereas you know so much of Jewish religion seems to be about law and ritual. So I guess that has something to do with it. But I'm curious why why you know the seder and all that sort of. My thing. fun answer would be because secular humanism is an empty vessel, and they uh, they slowly realize the you know profound uh, brokenness of what we now call enlightenment values, and they they kind of slowly uh, you know. F- fumble their way back to uh, to the, the one true faith and tradition. I, what a popular opinion in this room. <laughs> I think that contrary to Liel, some people find value in, you know, things like family tradition that aren't specifically religious, but are really mu- very much tied into Judaism. So for them, a Seder means connecting to these generations of people before them. And maybe they don't ever go to temple, but maybe they do a really fun breakfast. I think that there are ways in which people are expressing in real valid ways their Jewish identity that aren't traditional, like temple going, kosher keeping, stuff like that. I just want to say, first of all, that the idea that that Catholicism or Christianity is about what you do, whereas Judaism is just about rule following, is an age old calumny, and it and it also misunderstands both faiths. Uh, but the I think the answer, I mean, this this deserves more airtime than I'm going to give it. Is I think that Judaism, theologically speaking, is a form of ancestor worship, and I think that um, that our rituals tend to be chances to reperform that. Part two, um, not Yom Kippur, obviously, but a lot of them are fun. And I think I was once in a debate with Sam Harris, the atheist Sam Harris, where I, I just said when he was you know, going on and on, why do people do this? And I said, well, part of it is sometimes it's fun. Easter's fun. Hanukkah's fun. This like his head exploded because the idea that you would do this thing that's responsible for the death and immiseration of billions of people over history, crusades, blah, 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 that you would do it for fun kind of didn't take. But 
That's that's my answer. Well, he's enough to drive me back to Rome. <laughs> so how do we get your book? Uh, it'll be available very soon from Seven Stories Press and bookstores and Amazon and everywhere. We will be your date to the inaugural ball. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Doug Hedwin, thanks for being our Gentile of the Week. Thanks for having me. Hey, we had some amazing mail this week. We love all of our mail. We really do read it. And, but this week, it was just unbelievable. I'm just going to read you two of them. Hi, Stephanie, Mark, and Liel. Just wanted to say that I continue to listen to and enjoy Unorthodox. You've got some stiff competition from Lexicon Valley, Partially Examined Life, Classical Guitar Corner, and Radio Lab. But I look forward to Unorthodox the most. Wow. So just editorial comment. We beat Radio Lab for this guy. For me, at least, I've learned that make or break for a podcast, the thing which determines whether I'll come back is simply whether I enjoy the company of the hosts. I have to really like them and feel good about spending time with them. This is the case for the three of you. I have a crush on Stephanie, which I will deny if asked, and Mark is cool and funny and intellectual whether he's clean-shaven or not. Hey, it's radio. And then there's Liel. How great a guy must he be if he can tell me in almost every episode that I'm an anti-Semite and yet I just gotta like him. Moreover, he's a Republican and a card-carrying member of the NRA. This should be the death knell for any burgeoning friendship. And yet, what a great guy. His sense of humor, including all those accents, is exactly what I need every time I tune in. Oh, God, he's encouraging you. Uh, thank oh, you no. very much. It's very good for it to hear. So if I, I like. Could, if I could ask for just one change to unorthodox, it would be to ask Liel to recognize, even if grudgingly, that one might be deeply opposed to some of Israel's policies regarding the Palestinians without being anti-Israel, an anti-Semite, or a self-hating Jew. I fully recognize well, that. I don't expect him to do so. No, recognize And I will keep tuning in with great appreciation. Best wishes to the three of you. Mark. Mark. Mark, did you write recognize. this? I did not write it. It's not different. <laughs> Mark, Mark, do you have a crush this on is, me? At least you could have made up a different <laughs> name, Mark. This is Mark. At least you could have done. Uh, this is Mark, Feather, Mark Featherstone, biologist, Canadian, Goy, turning 60, living in Singapore, married to the most wonderful woman on earth, thinks Montreal bagels are best. Wow. I like that. Mark, here's the thing. A I, Singaporean I, I boy. I would concede the point about Israel and policies, but Montreal bagels, man? No, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> Absolutely <words>. not. <laughs> All right. But the letter of the week, no no disrespect to our Liel-loving 60-year-old Canadian goy expat in Singapore. Letter of the week. Dear Unorthodox, we're just a couple of your standard issue North American broads trying to make it in the Holy Land, roughing it on the fringes of Tel Aviv where the rent is cheap because really that's what matters. We're avid listeners of Unorthodox and the two of us have created a community. Of two, hardly a minion, but who's counting, of Drake-loving, cat-cuddling, Hebrew-stuttering Jewesses. It's kind of like Broad City, but with socialized healthcare. Essentially, unorthodox is our news of the Jews. But a little about us. Rebecca is a pint-sized Canadian with artsy glasses and a penchant for tea. She's dating an Israeli veterinary student who has been so horrified with stories of sad animals that she's now a proud vegetarian and eater of beans. Eliana is the vivacious daughter of a rabbi who's been described in multiple languages, by multiple people, as full of life. Having been known to make solemn Israeli men laugh out loud with her charm, wit, and shockingly spot-on Hebrew accent, she spends her days on social media convincing the Jewish people that Israel is awesome. We just wanted to let this panel of Jewish experts know, takes one to know one, that your podcast is being appreciated by a couple of expats trying to make sense of the Jewish people day to day. We formally invite the three of you, or any combination therein, to a night of Arak drinking, hummus eating, and kugel recipe swapping in the White City. Rebecca and Eliana. I would like to be their best friend. Yeah. Can they, are they looking for a third? Because I can like 
We can ditch my real friends. Fourth and a fifth. Yeah, yeah. This is all. That's all. Move. We're there. We're there. We want to party with you. Yeah, awesome. And can we invite Mark Featherstone from from Singapore? <laughs> Absolutely. If a sixty year old Canadian guy can join us, we'll be halfway to There's a minute. There's probably a direct flight. There's probably a direct flight. Some Mazel Tovs of the week, Stephanie. My Mazel Tov is to former unorthodox guest David Tuckman, host of OMG WTF Bible, for the good sense of inviting me on to his podcast. Um, it's a live show on Thursday. I have no idea when it'll be up, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll send you that link. And my Mazel Tov is to Lindy West, whom I've only met once for about two minutes, but her new book is out. She's a terrific writer. She writes about comedy. She writes about feminism. She writes about herself. And the new book is called Shrill, and I just finished it. And I have no skin in this game, but I think it's terrific. Liel? My Mazel Tov is uh, to the motherland, celebrating her 68th today. Land of milk and honey and big balls and true grit. The canary in the coal mine, the ever-darkening coal mine of, of radical Islamic terrorism. A country where miracles never cease. Uh, my beloved, perfectly imperfect homeland, Israel. Mazel Tov, baby. And to celebrate, I would like to offer a small gift. This is a short composition that my grandfather, the great Siegfried Greller, who moved to Tel Aviv from Romania, wrote in 1950 to capture the sounds of the first ever Hebrew city. If you have thoughts, comments, praise, or questions for our panel of experts, send them to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. As you've learned, we might read them on the air. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. It's edited by Julie Subrin and produced by Sarah Ivory and Alyssa Goldstein. Rabbinic supervision this week by me, because I'm getting smicha. Nope, just kidding, just kidding. Kosher Slaughtering by Andrew Graybill. Our website is tabletmag.com. Our music is by Golem. To get our newsletter, shoot an email to unorthodox at tabletmag.com and ask for it. And follow Tablet on Facebook, where we can talk about all the stuff we say. Shalom, friends.